Welcome to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. This special series features some of Milwaukee's most distinguished leaders. They'll share how they overcame challenges, developed their skills, and achieved success, so you can gain insight and inspiration. And now, Leadership is in Session. Welcome, everybody. Today, I am really pleased to have in the studio with me Damian Buckman of the Ability Center and so much more to talk to us about Unstoppable, so possibility, positivity, passion, and perseverance. Damian, welcome in. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Becky. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we are so glad you are here because I would love for people to hear your story. And I know you are frequently asked about your story. Mm -hmm. But for those who don't know it, it's a pretty remarkable one, and I'm hoping that you will do so for our audience's benefit today. You know, reality is, is always a blessing to tell my story because this, as the story goes, I should not be here to tell said story. So happy to share it. About three days before my 13th birthday, I was diagnosed with childhood bone cancer in my right leg. And then after seven months of remission, I was re-diagnosed a month into my freshman year of high school in my left leg. No one expected me, not my physicians, not my surgeons, not my oncologist, no uh, doctor to this day is still surprised that I saw my 15th birthday or 16th birthday. So I am a 30-year survivor of bilateral osteosarcoma or childhood bone cancer. So what makes my story most unique is having had the cancer in both of my legs, surviving both those bouts and still standing on my own two feet is what's kind of unheard of. I'm, I'm, I'm the anomaly. I'm the one. You are the one. And I would imagine that this changed you. It changed your family. How? Oh, it's defined my entire life. Actually, crazy story is my wife now works with the doctor that I credit to saving my life. She's a nurse wow. at Children's Wisconsin. And Dr. Nar David Margolis was a fellow the second time I got diagnosed. And I credit him to saving my life. And essentially, she has said to me, no one that I know of has this extreme and intense need to honor their survivorship like you do. Mm. I've struggled to understand how a teenager can go through that kind of treatment, be on an oncology unit of a children's hospital, and not be forever changed. I don't understand how you could not walk out in a new normal. I started to realize as flashbacks came back, you know, as a 30-year survivor, when people came around and closed our doors on the unit, it's because another kid passed. Another kid didn't win their battle with cancer. And the fact that I have when no doctors thought I should have, I don't know any other way but to honor that. So it, it, not only that, but it has absolutely shaped my life. And I met my wife at a childhood cancer camp that she was. we were both volunteering at. I wasn't able to have children, biological children, because of my treatment. So all my three boys are adopted. And essentially, the effects of and impact of you know, surviving and having childhood cancer completely molded who I am today. So when we opened this conversation, I used the words possibility, positivity, passion, and perseverance. And those words are on your website yes. because you clearly identify with them. Why these words? Why are they important? Yeah, those are what I kind of call my currencies. These are things that can come in unlimited amounts and doesn't affect what anyone else gives you or doesn't give you. It's what you can deliver yourself. If I didn't have the positive mindset while I was sick, 
I probably would not have survived. I think that was a big part of my survival. And when I think about that, I can bring that in spades, right? I can continually to remain and stay in a positive frame of mind. Many people would tell me, hey, you have every right to feel bad for yourself, feel sorry for yourself. You know, this is a tough battle. It's been long and ongoing. And ever since the day you were diagnosed 32 years ago, but it doesn't do that for me. I mean, so really I can focus on that positivity anytime. And I realized later that I always stayed in that frame of mind. When I was supposed to go get more chemotherapy, I'd always say, I hope my counts are too low to get chemotherapy. And they never were. And when they were ready to admit me, I'd say, you know, I'm going to go home and come back in 24 hours because I spent the previous 24 hours thinking about how I don't want to get chemotherapy, how it's miserable, how it's terrible. I'm going to feel awful. I don't want it. And I wouldn't go back until I was ready to be hit again and say, all right, Damien, this is what you got to get ready for. This is what you got to prep for. This is what's going to happen. You know, you got you to be in game mode in order to succeed. And I think that's what sped up my treatment in a way. I mean, I was done with my protocol a month ahead of schedule and never missed chemotherapy based on counts being too low or, you know, getting sick or any of those kind of things that could happen with having a weakened immune system. So that's the positivity piece. The possibility piece is everyone, again, really the, the physicians told my mom to just take me home and let me die peacefully. Oh. Nobody expected me to see that, as I said earlier, that 15th or 16th birthday. So at that point, I realized really nothing's impossible. And that molded that side of possibility. And so if I can constantly, again, stay in that frame of positivity, possibility, what is limiting me other than myself, right? And then perseverance is just what I've done endlessly. It doesn't matter whether it's been my career and my visions and my goals and my missions. When people have told me that's impossible, one of the greatest, I think, testimonies I've received in recent years was uh, your story has not changed. Your goals have not changed. You have not molded what you have to say about your mission and your organization based on what the hottest topic is today. Mm. And so that perseverance is something that's really impressed everybody is that I continue to come with the same story, the same need, because it's never really changed. Why would I tell anything different? So perseverance, again, I had a, a mentor who actually said to me as well, he said, and this sounds so simple, but if you, if you just pause and think about it for a minute, it's pretty profound and stopping is what stops you. That's your choice, right? You got to choose to stop or not. And so that's that perseverance piece for me. And I think the greatest magnetic attraction to everything I've done has been the passion. I think people struggle to find what they're passionate about, what they want to be passionate about, can hold on to that one thing that really means uh, everything as the fire in their soul and their belly. Uh, I have not lost that and will not lose that. So passion has probably been my greatest, as I call it, currency to put out in the world, to have people really be attracted to the mission of the Ability Center, you know, the purpose of Damien Bookman and the goals that I have to, you know, really serve everybody equally in that space of fitness, athletics, and recreation. So all about those things that you were just sharing, we're talking about mindset. So I imagine when you are out in the community, so you are a social entrepreneur, among many other things. And I would imagine you encounter a lot of people in the community who maybe are in the midst of receiving chemotherapy. Maybe they're getting ready to embark on receiving chemo, or maybe they're just past it. And they come up to you and they ask, Damien, this is all well and good, 
but I just, I cannot embrace this. I just do not have the right mindset. How do you coach them through that to embrace all of those things, the possibility, the positivity, the passion, the perseverance? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting question. I often don't get asked those things. And, and I, and I want to say because I live them constantly. Hmm. And so one of our participants in our programs at the Ability Center has dubbed me as their courage model, hmm. meaning there's never a no from me. There's never a that's not possible from me. When people are questioning whether or not they can, you know, I'll get into the space of, well, why is your mind telling you that? And, but it's more than anything, it's the example that I'm constantly setting. I think that they're watching and they're feeding off of and executing on their own. And so when people will come back at me with just kind of all the reasons why they can't do the thing I might be pushing them to do, I'll tell them all the reasons why they can do that thing that they think they can't do. And I think I've got another great story of, I met a, when I was a counselor at a camp for kids with cancer, I met an osteosarcoma survivor who had just had her first limb salvage. And she said, well, I can't play volleyball anymore. And I said, oh, well, I've had two limb salvages Mm. and I'm here playing volleyball. Sure you can. So I showed her how to adapt in that moment. And she has since become a two-time silver medal winning paratriathlete. Wow. Right? And, and that's her own drive for certain. But it was in that moment where somebody tried to give me the excuse that I can't, that I showed them how they can. And so it's less talk and it's more action, I think, mm. for me, that people are able to grab at. And you know, you just come to conclude and know you can't be in Damien's presence and say, I can't do that or I'm not going to be able to do why because eventually I'll break you down and show you that you can. (laughs) Well, you mentioned the Ability Center where I imagine you have those conversations with people going from I can't to I can. What is the Ability Center? And also, I'd love to hear you share a little bit about a huge win that you've recently had with the groundbreaking Mm -hmm. of a place called Moss Universal Park in Wauwatosa. What are those? Yeah. So the Ability Center is literally what I consider my purpose for survival. I think that God saved me for multiple reasons. And I think this is one of the primary ones. And the Ability Center has found a unique niche And the way I sum it up is making it possible for people with disabilities to play together with those they love most. So a lot of disability-related things are places where you're going to drop off Timmy, Tommy, Sarah, or Sue and pick them up later when they're done. We say, no, no, you're going to come and play with Timmy, Tommy, Sarah, and Sue. I was that kid who was looking down at my neighbors playing in my driveway along with my siblings and friends when I was diagnosed. And I was like, I can't play with them the way I once did, the way that I want to, the way they want me to, and decided we need to fix that problem. And so it creates an opportunity for people to play in what we call just a different pair of shoes. And disability or not, everybody plays with the Ability Center. So moms play with sons, dads play with daughters, cousins play together, siblings play together. It really doesn't matter wherever your ability is at everybody gets a recreational opportunity to play with the Ability Center. And so we do that in a multitude of ways that have never been done before, which which are, are really, really exciting and fun to do all throughout Greater Milwaukee. But now our greatest win, as you mentioned, was this Moss Universal Park. 
So being the unlimited possibility human being that I am, I challenged the group called Game Time, a company called Game Time, who does inclusion the best already in the recreation playground space. And I said, but you guys could do better. We could do better. And the number one problem that exists is we're building playgrounds that are inclusive and accessible for kids with disabilities. But every one of those playgrounds is built in a park. And if everybody listening can imagine, you know, pull your cell phone out of your pocket, drop it on the table or the desk you're in front of, consider that table or desk the entire park and consider your phone in the playground. What we've done is limited people to staying inside of that little box if they have a disability. We're not giving them that full equitable opportunity across the entirety of the space. And when I think about that, I've always said, I'm actually not really thinking about the kid with a disability because I know I'm going to do that child right. We're going to make sure they get a great experience. But in order to get that great experience, they want that experience with their friends and their families and their siblings and everybody who came with them. And they want that excitement. And so that that experience has to be just as exciting on that playground for an able-bodied child or sibling as it needs to be with a non-inclusive or non-accessible playground, if, if you can understand what I'm saying. They're usually pretty boring. Mm. Inclusive <laughs> playgrounds are, they're low elements. They're not risky. They don't feel dangerous. They're not things able-bodied kids want to play on. And frankly, they really lose interest for the child with a disability as well. But you know, what about the grandparent? What about me as a parent with a disability where I want to play with my kids and my boys deserve to play with me? I should be able to get on that element and play with them. When they look back and say, daddy, look what I can do. I should be able to join them and not just have to watch from below. And so that creates that opportunity by thinking about a universal park. And then when we want to you know, escape the playground, we can go to the fitness area. We can go to the baseball field. We can go into the woods. Everything inside of this 18 acre park is going to be universally inclusive, which makes it truly the company that we're working with game time develops 2000 playgrounds in parks annually. Wow. They have, and they've been around for about a hundred years. They have never seen a universal park. So I'm comfortable in saying, which I, I make pretty bold statements, but I check it through the experts. There might be some really big multi-acre playgrounds, but there is not an entirety of a universally inclusive park. And that's what we're really creating. Talk to us about some of the elements that we'll find in that park. Oh boy, it's almost, what won't you find? Okay. So the beauty of the park is that it brings both the natural element of green and park space, and it also brings the very active side of it. And then in the middle is that one piece that sometimes people are missing, which we're calling a universal clubhouse. And it may sound like the most boring part of the entire space, but it's the most important part. So in that clubhouse, we'll have sensory rooms for people to escape into. We'll have caretaker restrooms. We'll have a wellness or mothering room. We'll have complete universally accessible bathrooms that have adult size changing tables. And then also a building you can escape to for temperature regulation, whether mm. you're there in the winter or whether you're there in the summer. And that will also give access throughout the entirety of the space from at least solar or and or plug in in the building opportunities to plug in your mobility device, you say your power wheelchair or your technology device that helps you communicate. Long story short of all of that is our goal is that nobody leaves the park unless they're exhausted. Hmm. I don't want them to leave because of any special needs they have. I want them to leave because they just can't physically do any more. And so from our baseball field, which is called Universal Universal Field, 
will be a completely inclusive baseball field to a significant playground, outdoor fitness area, a mental health zone and sensory escape zone, fitness pockets, play pockets throughout the trail that goes throughout the woods. Literally, as I said earlier, the entirety of the 18 acres of the park is going to be accessible and have opportunities for all kinds of abilities. That's incredible. I appreciate you sharing all of that. And you mentioned something interesting that probably many of us who who are fully able-bodied don't necessarily think about, and that's the technology aspect. Mm-hmm. Will you talk to us a little bit about how that is a barrier for so many who use things like a wheelchair? Yeah. So, you know, when you've got like a power wheelchair, obviously that's on a battery that only has a limited capacity and time. So that's where I say, well, I'd hate to have somebody have to go home, even though they're having fun because they've got to go plug in. Mm-hmm. Or I can't make it in the afternoon because my battery's dying down, but you really could come and plug in and stay at the park for a while. But then there's also iPads that a lot of kids on the spectrum, et cetera, might use. And when I say spectrum on the the autism spectrum, that might use for communication purposes. And so that has a limited battery life as well. So I don't want any of that to be a limitation as to what keeps people around and keeps them playing. And so those offer those opportunities for them, again, to stay as long as they want, as long as they physically can before they just can't play any longer. That's great. I appreciate that. And I'd love to ask you a little bit about a recent stat I saw, and that was from Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley, who said that 25% of households in Milwaukee County have at least one family member who has a disability. That was a pretty startling number to me, Damien. And I think many of my friends and neighbors, those of us who are able-bodied, would say the same thing. What can we do to bring about stronger awareness to this? Yeah, I think the the way that we've really brought awareness to it and have tied everybody to it is is this idea that we are all just temporarily able-bodied. So mm. what I say is we all belong to one demographic and we call that TABS. Again, temporarily able-bodied. So whether it's a disease or it's the aging process or it's an accident, you know, we're all going to need greater access at some point in our lives. And I learned that at Mm -hmm. 13. I went from being a, a likely pretty elite athlete to being immobilized and on crutches and in an immobilizer in minutes, right? And then acquiring an ambulatory disability for the rest of my life. My desire to continue to play stand-up volleyball didn't change. In fact, the reason I'm on my 29th knee replacement and revision is because I played a lot of stand-up volleyball in my 20s mm-hmm. and I wore my knees out a lot. They're not made to do that. And that pain and that fact that I'd have to have another surgery again didn't matter to me because I got more joy that was worth it to play volleyball still. And so that's what we say. It doesn't matter if you're in your teens or your 80s. If playing baseball was your jam in your teens, still going to be something you might love in your 80s. The question is whether or not you can do that on a typical field. On a universal field, you'd be able to do that. You know, we transformed Milwaukee's Bradford Beach into the country's most accessible beach. Same thing. If the beach was your jam in your 20s, still going to be something you love in your 80s, but can I get on the beach? Mm. And so psychologically, the things we desire to do and the things that we grew up loving don't change, but our physical capacity at times will. And so while that stat is 25% of households really probably comes from the fact that the CDC says that 26% of Americans have a disability. Hmm. 
roughly about 13% report a disability or identify with a disability. But when you think about the aging population, that's what ramps it up to that 26%. And what's incredible is because of that idea, we're all temporarily able-bodied and our, our capacity to live longer. From when I started my organization in 2008, that stat was about 20%. Mm. And now we're only 15 years down the road and it's grown to 26%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, the issue is that I think everybody can resonate with is we're all going to be there. So when you come to Universal Park as a child now and you play when you're in kindergarten, sometimes we like to say that we help people play from K to grade, kindergarten mm. till senior. And that was your park in kindergarten. It's still going to be something as a grandparent in your 60s and 70s and 80s, you can bring your grandchildren with to and play with them. And that's the kind of impact that the Ability Center and the projects that we have deliver. We don't just think about wheelchair user. We don't just think about you know intellectual development or disability. We don't just think about elderly. We're literally thinking universally about the spectrum of humans that want to play together and make that opportunity possible. So that concept of K to gray is an interesting one. And I think is leading me to want to ask you about another project you have on the horizon. Not and me. Not, Not you. <laughs> I don't possibly I take mean, on more. <laughs> we are here with you, Damien. But that is the Opportunity Center. Yeah. And that is a huge endeavor that you're co-leading with Frank Cumberbatch of the Bader Foundation. That's right. So that center has a goal of being the country's first accessible, equitable, and inclusive community center. Yeah. Talk to us about the Opportunity Center. So originally, the reason the Ability Center as an organization is called as such is that our goal was to build a universally inclusive recreation center, not just for people with disabilities, but for everybody, but designed with the universal design mentality and accommodating people and families impacted by disabilities. But it would also have been open to the general able-bodied public. Turns out Frank Cumberbatch at Bader Philanthropies had a similar mission. He was focused on black and brown children of Milwaukee and also track and field. I was focused more on kind of court sports and people with disabilities. He called me within a month you know, into the pandemic and said, hey, basically, you've got a vision and an idea. I've got a vision and an idea. Here's why these two things synergize and we should do them together. It was quite an extraordinary moment because those two key demographics that we want to serve have such a cross-sectionality in almost any statistic we look at, whether we're talking about poverty or health outcomes or social economic outcomes etc. All of those are either, you know, African-American population or the disabled population is in the one or two spot that neither one wants to be in. And so this idea that these two would synergize just made a lot of sense. And so what we talk about the Opportunity Center as is really is, I call it an intentional community center that happens to be the scale of a sports tourism venue. And what makes it unique is the idea of the universal design. What makes it unique is the populations in which we want to serve. And what makes it the most unique is that it will be the first multi-sport tourism center that is built in an urban setting in the country. Usually you find these kinds of facilities in cornfields, right? In the middle of nowhere America that doesn't offer opportunities to kids in neighborhoods that isn't around a population of like a 15 to 20 mile or minute radius of 1.3 million people. They don't have the even 
possibility of being a community center. They can only be a sports tourism venue. And so the fact that we can be that intentional community center, serve the people of Rufus King and greater Milwaukee in the Rufus King neighborhood in greater Milwaukee first. And we are right on that cusp, you know, in one of the most segregated cities in the country, which of course, nobody wants to own or have to say out loud, but if we don't face the reality, we can't fix it. And that location where we're putting this center is at everything that America has seen the problem with since the pandemic. We have a highway that segregated Mm -hmm. two communities cut right down the middle, literally on the east side of the bridge. It is one of the wealthiest and most educated zip codes in our entire state. On the west side of that bridge, that highway where we are building, it is one of the poorest and least educated zip codes. And mind you, bordered by the most incarcerated zip code in the world. And you don't find these kinds of opportunities inside of those kind of neighborhoods. And what's amazing about it is the way the name, the Opportunity Center came about was the constant conversations that we were having with different actually elected officials, such as our county executive or our former lieutenant governor, et cetera. The Ability Center's mindset always talked about opportunity. Where is our opportunity to play? Where is our opportunity to be fit, active, and healthy? We need to provide that because people with disabilities don't have that. And it was the same narrative. It was, where was that opportunity when I was a kid? If I could have given my children that opportunity, where would they be today? And it just became very clear that that was the thing that was missing. And in youth sports, we know that the pay-to-play sports model is leaving tens of thousands of kids and children sidelined from actually being able to play sport. So it really became just this very exciting opportunity that if we were going to pilot something so big, so grand, that this is the neighborhood, the destination, the location it belongs in. That spot, that site that we have, those 22 acres are within a four mile radius of everything that can lift a human's life and opportunity. And you just need to give them that space and that place to show them and tell them who they could be, where they can be, see the models of who they could become and give them that opportunity to be their best self. What message does that send to, you've talked about both sides of a major highway dividing, so the east and the west. What message does that send collaboratively to both sides that you have chosen this location? Yeah, I think what it what it really does is sport has a grand capacity to break down barriers organically. Once two humans are putting on the same jersey and have the same goal to cross the finish line first or to put the ball in the hoop more or whatever that sports goal is, they only see the uniform. They don't see the color. They don't see the ability. They have to collectively pick each other up, if that makes sense, as a team. And so being where that location is, it is in an impoverished neighborhood, but also, again, I can't even say maybe the length of a football field from a wealthy neighborhood. And so you've got this opportunity for people to just come together and organically see how it's just another human as opposed to any of the external input in their lives that are screaming at them about how they should see another person. And they can start to be impacted by their own experiences versus the narrative we're being delivered. I've kind of explained it as this. I tend to just speak what I think. Sometimes it could be taken wrong or construed and sometimes not. But you know, I grew up in Brookfield, which is a pretty wealthy neighborhood in the greater Milwaukee area. And the narrative 
that I think we were getting out there was you don't cross 124th Street and you sure as hell don't go to Milwaukee or you'll die. And someone was feeding me that narrative. And I don't think it was about being racist. It's just something that was being fed to me from childhood. And when you're in areas that might be considered less than ideal, you really start to realize there's just a lack of opportunity here. When you look around, it's not about whether or not they desire to be athletic or they desire to be healthy or people desire to play together. They're not provided the same, again, opportunity that I was provided in the suburbs. And your lens really starts, and mine did, in in navigating this project your lens and your eyes really start to just open wide and you realize everything you've heard is just wrong, is just wrong. And one of the things I said to Frank is, as a white male from Brookfield, I'm never gonna know, but I need to know better. And this is that opportunity for all of us to know better. And he has shared great stories about being in Jerusalem, you know, where Muslims and Christians may play basketball together, right? And they're in different dress and different garb when they're on the court. And then they go into the locker rooms and change and come out and those things that are identifying who and what they are, what they believe in. But in that time and in that moment on those courts and in those games at the local YMCA, they only see each other and the game that they're playing. And so Frank and I have often just had these great conversations about what is that natural, organic, play and sport going to create for breaking down all types of barriers. Damien, what gives you hope? My life has been nothing but hope, right? That's where those four words come into play. You know, I I don't believe in impossibility because no one again thought I would see my 15th or 16th birthday. And so hope is what I drove on as a teenager and hope is what I cashed in for survivorship. And so my everyday is filled with hope and positivity. I really know no other way to live. So those four words again, possibility, positivity, passion, and perseverance. Damien, I want to thank you for being with us today and really inspiring us through your word and your action and just appreciate all that you were bringing to Milwaukee. Oh, it's a pleasure. I always say, you know, I'm honored to do so because it's my purpose. It's what I was saved to do. I, I can't Nothing against the nine to five. (laughs) My spirit just can't do the nine to five. It's pretty free. It's pretty out there. And it just wants to serve as much as it can. Thanks for listening to Leadership is in Session, powered by Athena Communications. Be sure to catch all eight enlightening episodes. And don't forget to connect to On the Edge of Equity with Tammy Belton Davis, available wherever you get your podcasts.